0: Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, please. Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. It's in the New Testament. I don't know what page. Somebody knows what page, if you can call it out. 75. 75. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to read from verse 38 to verse 42, it's a beautiful account, it's a very simple account, it's a story and an account that I'm sure you'll be well familiar with for those of you who read your Bible. And it says there, now it came to pass, in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10, And now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house and she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art neglectful and thou art, sorry, careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... As always, dear Lord, I need you and we need you. We need you, dear Lord, to pierce our hearts. We need you, dear Lord, to make us aware, dear Father, of our need for you. We need to stand here, Lord, in your strength and I need your strength tonight. I pray, dear Lord, that you would be with these children who I know you love and you love so much more than any of us could even Think that we could. I ask and pray, dear Lord, that you would show your love to them tonight. That they would know what it is, that one thing that is needful. Be with them, dear Lord. Bless them. Bless them, dear Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to be sharing the gospel tonight. I want to be sharing what the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ actually is. The title of the message is One Thing Needful. One Thing Needful. There'll be three short points that we'll be looking at. And they are simply this. There is one thing needful. It is the care of the soul. There's one thing needful. It is the care of the soul. Worth writing it down. I don't want you to miss it. The second is the one thing neglected, it is the safety of the soul. The one thing neglected, it is the safety of the soul. And the third is there is one thing necessary for the salvation of the soul. There is one thing necessary for the salvation of the soul. The Gospel has a wonderful presentation and a very simple explanation found in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4. I'll read it for you, but make a note of it. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4. Paul writing as he introduces this incredible chapter, and he says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the Gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, present tense, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus dying for our sin as a substitution of his life four hours and it was according to all that was spoken about in history past in the scriptures in the writings that went before it was recorded there already and jesus fulfilled this this substitution his life for hours this was spoken about this is part of that gospel that he was buried and that he rose again the third day is the single most attested fact of all history in fact, scholars have said that if the method used to deny the resurrection of Christ was applied to any other historical event, all written and documented history would need to be denied and wiped away. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the single attested fact of history. And it can't be denied. It simply cannot be denied. Scholars have excused it. They can try it. They have tried to explain it away. But the only thing that they might be able to effectively do is just reject it. But they cannot deny that it occurred. Not if they desire to be consistent with how they teach history. Interesting thought. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is that portion of the gospel which gives to us a knowledge of something very, very sure. And that is that if Jesus died for our sins and that if he rose again from the dead, then him dying for our sins in substitution for us being raised now from the dead means we also are raised in a newness of life. We are raised from the dead. We effectively died in Jesus. We were crucified on that, in that same way, with regards to we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we no longer live, but Christ now lives in us. And Paul writes that the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. That is that beautiful gospel of Christ, and tonight I'm going to give to you all an opportunity to believe it. Those who have believed it, it'll be an opportunity to rejoice that you've been saved as the Bible teaches and to stand with complete confidence, knowing that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 8, 39. And that deserves a huge amen. Amen indeed. But there is one thing needful and it is the care of the soul. Look at the text there in that passage that we read. It's there in verse 40. 2 Jesus said but one thing is needful and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her Here we see Jesus himself addressing Martha who was cumbered about much serving she'd seen Mary sitting at Jesus feet while she was attending to all this work serving the people who had come with Jesus Martha clearly thought that Jesus was on her side You get the picture, you get that imagination that's in there. And she, while she worked and Mary sat, you know, she figured if she's working and Mary's sitting, she could help. And so she says to Jesus and says, Lord, do you not rebuke her? You know, tell her to help me. And Jesus responded contrary to what Mary supposed he would respond, saying, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. I want to share with you this evening what that one thing needful that Jesus spoke of is. And in order to do that, you have to understand the context of what's going on here. Who it is that she is sitting at the feet of. Let's consider the context for a second. Number one, whose feet is she sitting at? Jesus' feet. Well, who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. In fact, he is the very God of peace, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. He is God manifest in the flesh, 1 Timothy 3.16. When Jesus said to Philip, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, in John 14.9, he was testifying that he and the Father are one. He is in every way the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, six. This is Christ, this is God that she is sitting at the feet of. And Mary was sitting there at God's own feet and therefore the one thing that is needful that she is attending to is the one thing of all things that are most needful. That's the other point. Jesus saying one thing is needful and stopping there without any further qualification. He's not saying anything else is more needful than that which Mary is attending to. The only thing that can possibly fit there, the one thing that could be most needful, the one thing most needful for not just for Mary, but for all people, because it was a universal declaration. She has chosen the one thing that is needful, not just for her, but for everyone, for all people. It can only be the care of the soul. It can only be the care of the soul. Luke nineteen ten. for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to safeguard the soul, to save the soul. And Mary was attending to that one thing needful at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is there such a need? Why did he come to save that which was lost? Why was it lost? Romans three twenty three tells us why. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus came to wash our sins away, that our souls might be white as snow. It might be clean as pure wool. Isaiah wrote of this in Isaiah 118, saying, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And this is what God wants to do, to clean us, to wash us, to purify that soul and this is what is the most needful of all things. There is nothing more needful. One thing and one thing alone is needful, and that is the care of your soul. See, your soul is you. It's, it's you, it's the very essence of who you are. When the word of God speaks about the heart, it speaks about the very person of who you are. It's a synonym for the soul. It's not the physical heart, you know, it's it's a synonym for who you are. And you know this is, is true. If any of you have ever had a loved one that passed away and you saw, uh, the, you saw that, that loved one there, it's not difficult to be able to look and say, he's not there. He's not there. It's like it's empty. I mean, the, the, the words that they use to talk about the body that's left gives you an indication that it's not a gratifying or a pleasing description you know, when they speak of it, when my mum passed away, it was very much like that. She died right in front of me, right in front of me. Actually, as soon as I walked in the door, the very mo- it was almost like she was waiting for me to come. I walked straight in the door and that was it. She took her last breath right there. And she was gone. She was gone. Like, gone. There was... I can't even explain it. I mean, only, only those of you who have seen that before know what I'm talking about. She was gone. She was no longer there. She was no, no longer present. She was somewhere else. She just wasn't there. And it's such a surreal feeling when somebody passes away. It's, it's almost like it's not natural. It's like it's, it's not meant to be. And indeed, it was never meant to be. Man was never meant to die. It's an anomaly. It's something that has happened since the time of Adam, but it was never meant to be the case. God never created man to die, but to live with him in fellowship forever, for all eternity, that he may share in the love that he has between himself as the triune being, the God of the Bible. The soul is eternal, but the body is not eternal. The body will eventually decay and rot in the grave Job wrote a testimony of it in Job 19.26. He said, And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Quite, Quite an incredible testimony when you just think about that. If you break that down just for a minute. He testifies there of two incredible things. On the one hand, he says that his body will ultimately decay and yet also that he will rise again with a new body to see God. After my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Nothing could be more needful than the care of the soul. And Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So consider for a moment what care you have given to your own soul. Just think about it for a moment. What care have you given for your own soul? The second point. One thing neglected, it is the safety of the soul. It's sad to see that in our lives, the one thing that is needful is also the one thing that is too often neglected. The one thing neglected is the safety of the soul. Here we see Martha again, just like you and I too often are, cumbered about much serving. And we're careful and troubled about many things. But the only thing too often not cared about, the only thing that we don't give too much consideration of, the one thing that is neglected is the safety of the soul. The one thing Martha neglects seems to be also the one thing that Mary found needful. She sits there at Jesus' feet and she's hearing his words and she's nurturing to the fullest extent the needs of her soul. That eternal reality of every person ever born. All this while Martha has come careful and troubled about many other things. How many other things have you spent most of your life being careful, full of care and troubled by? How many other things have taken the place of the things with regards to your soul? How many times have you given consideration of your eternal soul? How many times compared to how many times you find yourself troubled? and careful, worried about many other things. How much is the picture of so many people? Too worried about the things that don't really matter, arguing about things of too little or no value. And we seem to content to fight political fights. It's interesting, isn't it? We, we, we find ourselves fighting political fights a lot of the time and we think that that's quite a noble effort. And, and perhaps it is. Perhaps it is. We, we, <coughs> we, you know, we fought against slavery and, uh, and that was a wonderful blessing. We, we released the slaves from their physical enslavement but didn't do a tremendous amount to release them from their eternal enslavement, their bondage, the sin. We, we fight tooth and nail and we've been petitioning and, and I've done it too. I've spoken in Parliament with regards to abortion and the last lot of abortion that got passed eight years ago, which is essentially abortion to birth. I also spoke in chambers in Parliament against the euthanasia laws. You know, these are noble things. These are great things to to fight for and to hope for. We're working and we're working hard to make sure that we're trying to make the world a better place. And Christians often somehow get distracted thinking that that is the end goal. We've got to make the world a better place. And we're distracted. We're not thinking about, however, the soul. We're not thinking about the soul. And it seems noble. It seems sincere, but beloved, without the gospel, without preaching for the safety of the soul, we are only working harder to make the world a better place to go to hell from. It was Jesus who the Bible so clearly teaches is the lover of our souls. And I find it incredible how our our souls... The one thing we so often neglect, and yet it's the very one thing that Jesus died to save. Mary longed to be saved. She knew that she, like the Apostle Paul, like you and I, was dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2.1 That each person who is aware of right and wrong, each person who has a conscience that testifies to him the very basic... Thank you very much. I really love my wife. She seems to know exactly when I need to have a drink. Thank you, honey. Oh, that was the one thing needful. (laughs) Mary did. She desired to be saved. She, She cared for her soul. She desired the safety of her soul it was the one thing that she had thought about and she had looked for the messiah and she knew that messiah would come and and this was a desire for her and and so she sat there at his feet and all of us all of us who have a conscience all of us who are aware of what is right and what is wrong are the same we have a conscience we know that one day we are going to give an account the bible says that for it is appointed unto man once to die but after this the judgment. And Mary yearned that her soul might be saved against that day. There was a time in history where the vast majority of the world had a care for their souls. The one question that they asked was, what will happen to me when I die? It's interesting because I can remember thinking that when I was a little kid. I'm not sure if they think about these things anymore. But when I was a little boy, there was the one thing that I thought of. And I wanted to know what happens to me when I die. And I can still remember myself as a little... It's probably one of my earliest memories. And I'm there in my little pyjamas and I go over to Mummy and I tug on her and I say, Mummy, when we die, can we still dream? See, I would have been happy if we could still dream. See, if I could still dream as a little kid, that's all I needed to know, that I could still dream. Because my dreams were always so wonderful and so vivid and I was always the hero. Here I am at primary school and I'm there saving this beautiful little girl who, you know, who I can't even remember who it was now. I would replay that dream in my head time and time and time and time again, you know, until I made it real. But isn't it interesting, you know, to me, even dreaming was life. You know, I would have been happy with just dreaming. Oh, heaven is so much more than just dreaming. Heaven is the greatest reality, more real than anything we could possibly imagine. But I would have been happy with that. Mummy, what happens to me after I die? And she was so gracious. She didn't know herself, but she said, yes, you can still dream. Gave me that hope, you know. This was that one thing needful. What a blessing it is. They all believed it. Many desired it. Many looked for it. Back then, the one thing needful was not neglected, but it was nurtured. It was the one and only thing a person could possibly care about that mattered. People suffered nightmares worrying about death and eternity. So it was the one thing that was needful. Today, we're distracted by so many different things. We don't give it a second thought. We don't think about it until you come to an event like this, where it's just hammered home time and time and time again. And you see the reality of it and... I don't know. People then had a true and genuine concern for the safety of their soul. And it's strange to me, you know, I've worked in the construction industry for the better part of thirty years. And the one thing needful in the industry is to be alive at the end of the working day. That's basically the one thing that's needful. There's a there's a care for injury to the physical body. And we take such Safety in our day-to-day lives, but not a single thought of safety for our eternal soul. We don't think about that very often at all. The temporary life seems so much more important than the eternal. Signs of danger keep out. Warn of impending injury should we choose to ignore it. You've got hazardous chemicals written on these jars on, on, you know, Dulux paint tins and all that sort of stuff. You know, don't drink the paint. Like, we would do that. But hey, people have done sillier things. (laughs) Won't mention anything. We have barricade tape. We have reflective strips across front edges of steps. You see it everywhere you go. I'm sure you see it. These are all warnings. Don't trip, don't fall. There's danger here don't do this, don't do that, watch out, be careful, don't enter here. We see it everywhere, as if the warning signs are offensive. No. Do you get offended at a warning sign at all? I mean, you go down a road and it says cliff ahead. Wouldn't you want to know? I would want to know. You know, I would like to know that there's a cliff ahead. So to me, those things aren't offensive, they're needful. Why? Because there's a nurturing of the flesh that we need to have. We're naturally desiring to protect our own bodies. And yet for some strange reason, when the book warns of the danger of the eternal soul, it's either ignored or it's silenced. It's either ignored or silenced. And there's already so few people who warn of the danger that the soul is in. The church is a mess today, a mess today. Focusing on all this other stupidity and not concerned itself one bit with regards to the soul. The gospel is very rarely ever preached. I went for a church, from a church that I was in for 11 years. That in 11 years, they never ever preached the gospel. Not once. Matter of fact, the only time I ever heard the gospel in that church, and it was a charismatic church. A lot of you know, know our story. The only time I ever heard the gospel there was when there was an evangelist. You know, And he'd do his best not to offend anybody. From memory and from the testimony of some people in that church, I was the first one that ever mentioned the word hell. <clears throat> the gospel was rarely ever preached. And, and, and this is a genuine concern, beloved. If this is the case, this is the state of the church today. And I was 12 years between hearing the gospel the second time. What hope do you have that you're going to hear it again? It was 12 years for me. You don't have guarantee of a day, let alone a decade. No matter how hard the real world tries to reinvent the truth, however, reality seems to remain real. The book the world today ignores gives the answer with the greatest clarity and simplicity. And you've already heard it in the New Testament, that passage in Hebrews 9.27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment... The Old Testament is also not silent in Ecclesiastes twelve four. It says, "For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil." You might prefer not to believe the Bible, but it won't change its reality. It's just that it's a stubborn thing, reality. The judgment of our souls is either going to happen. This is the judgment of our souls is either going to happen or it's not going to happen. And it's not determined by your personal preference. You, you don't determine reality. You, you can't change reality. Reality is real and that is one of the most stubborn things with regards to reality. Heaven and hell. I once heard a, a girl on YouTube saying that you know um, she knows she's not going to go to hell because she doesn't believe it exists. Think about the logic here. We have a young girl who thinks that whatever she dreams is true, is true. We've got a young girl who plays make-believe with her own eternal soul. And I find this if there's a one in a million chance that it does exist, wouldn't you turn every rock over to find out whether or not you're in danger of it? I mean, you've got you've got people that are that are that are putting in their hard-earned money in order to play a game that has a much less chance than one in a million of making their temporary life more comfortable. Yet there's no investment whatsoever in their eternal. Not one. They neglect the safety of their soul. Many people seem to do this. Why is the safety of the soul the one thing neglected when it is so important, so important? It is the one thing needful. I just don't understand how people can be so flippant with this. I just don't. There is one thing necessary, last point, for the salvation of the soul. Verse 39, the text said, And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. There is one thing necessary for the salvation of the soul. We've already had the one thing needful, and that is the eternal care of our soul. We've had the one thing neglected, and that is the eternal safety of our soul. And lastly, we have the one thing necessary for the eternal salvation of our soul. Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. The joy and the hope that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ can never be taken away from us. It is secured by Jesus himself. It is secured by his blood on the cross. It is secured by his death. It is secured by the testimony of the Bible all the way through from cover to cover. It is secured by the fact that it was the very reason Jesus came and died, was to save your soul. The very reason, not for you to save your soul, for him to save your soul. It testifies to the wonder and the hope that we have moving forward if we would believe the gospel of Christ. The Bible teaches us something very interesting and very simple and it is basically that a person must be born again in order to become a Christian. You can't be a Christian unless you're born again. You are only a Christian if you're born again. Does that make sense? You are not a Christian because you've been brought up in a Christian family. You're not a Christian because you've got a little certificate that says you were Baptised into a particular church or that you were confirmed in something else or that you've done your communion or whatever it is, that doesn't testify to anything. You're not going to be bringing that page with you to St. Peter and say, dude, you know, I've got the paper. Can I come in? You know, it's not going to happen. Only if you're born again are you a Christian. I've mentioned this today, I think it was. There's a really simple rhyme that John Bunyan had and he's had this and it was simply... An egg is not a chick, though it fall from a hen, nor a man a Christian, lest he's born again. I think it nails it. I think it nails it. You must be born again. Jesus was the one who testified to that. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. The Gospel of John. So you're in Luke. Just go forward. Past Mark to John and chapter 3. Page 99? Thank you. Page 99. John chapter 3. Have a look what Jesus says. We read from verse 1 to 6. The account is told here. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Did you see it? Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's interesting, there seems to be two births there. Two births. Every man and woman is born of water. That is the part of the natural process of the delivery During that period of childbirth, we are all born of water. That is what that's referred to. When he explains it there, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's what he's referring to. He's explaining that which is born of water is that which is also born of the flesh. But there is another birth that needs to take place. And that other birth is the birth of the spirit. The spirit has to be born within you. That is the second birth that Jesus is referring to. And the only people that have the kingdom of God as access are those that have the second birth, that have been born of the spirit of God. This is most needful. This is absolutely necessary. You must be born again, else you will not see the kingdom of God. Jesus made that and testified to that very plainly and very clear. You must be born of the spirit That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Romans tells us this. Paul writing, he says in Romans 8, 9, But ye are not of the flesh, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you have not the spirit of Christ, if you are not born again by the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. You are not Christ. You don't belong to him. First Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. This is that reality. Now keep reading John 3.16 because you're going to want to ask the question, how? How? How, pastor, how must I be saved? How can I enter into the kingdom of God? How can I actually be born again? And the incredible thing is this has been told time and time and time again. And yet I want to repeat it. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. How many times has the answer given you there? I mean, look at it. Look at it. He, whoever so, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Whoever so, but he that believeth not on him... He that believeth on him is not condemned, believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he has what? Not believed. In the name of the only begotten Son of God. Are you getting a hint? I don't know, there's a hint there. There's a word, that stands out. Anybody know it? Believe. 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 Believe that Jesus died for your sins. How can you be born again? Believe that Jesus took your place on that cross. How can you be saved? How can you enter and see the kingdom of God? Believe, believe that Jesus has taken away all uh, penalty against you, nailed it to his cross, was buried and rose again the third day, demonstrating the resurrection of life that you can have if you would only believe. Believe. Turn your Bibles to Acts. You're in John. Turn to Acts chapter 16. An incredible account, a wonderful, wonderful account, this one. Acts chapter 16. What was that, sorry? 143, thank you. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Still 143? 144? Okay. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 is our text. And this is a wonderful account. Paul and Silas are in prison at this particular time. And there's an event that occurs and a miracle that happens. Have a look at this, verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking out of sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling. And fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. How simple is it? Did he add anything to it? Did he say you need to count a hundred thousand different rosary beads a number of times a week? Did he say you need to walk all these little old ladies across the road? Did he say you need to go and visit and door knock 144,000 houses? Did he say that? No, he didn't say any of that. Did he say you need to go to church every single Sunday in order to be saved? And if you miss eating one cracker, you're gone. No, he didn't say that. He gave one testimony and one testimony only. And it was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Turn back. From Acts chapter sixteen to Acts chapter eight. Acts chapter eight, another incredible testimony. Acts chapter eight. What's incredible about this is that there is a there is a, a eunuch. He was a he was an official of a queen of Ethiopia, and he's reading the book of Isaiah, and. As he's reading the book of Isaiah, suddenly Philip appears, the the evangelist Philip. He appears and he hears him reading the book. And verse 34 in our text, Acts chapter 8, verse 34. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man. Here he is reading Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament, 700 years Before the birth of Christ. I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Verse thirty-six, and as they went on their way there came they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? You understand what he's asking here, do you not? He's asking what hinders me to be baptised. He's asking one of the most important questions that need to be asked before any individual is baptised. What hinders me to be baptised? Verse 37 gives the answer. Philip gives the answer in verse 37. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. If thou believest with all thine heart. You heard testimony after testimony. How many testimonies have you heard where it seems to be indicated that there was a belief happened, a confession made. But the heart was not regenerated. Paul mentioned that tonight was not born again. Can't remember how old he was when he made that profession of his mouth and yet the heart was exactly in the same place that it was before he made the profession. Didn't change. Belief has to happen here, not here. It's the heart that needs to be changed, not the mind. The mind has been deceived already by the heart. The heart needs to be pierced with newness of life. The heart needs to come alive. It's the heart that needs to live. That's where the spirit of God comes in. I've shown you now from the scriptures. I haven't confessed this of my own mouth. This isn't come from me. You read it in the scriptures. You read it in the book of books. You read it in the book that is the most despised and yet the most loved book in the world. You read it there. It didn't come from me, the gospel. It came from the book. That's the foundation. Now, you can either accept it or you can reject it, but understand that those words did not come from a man. They came from the Lord in his Word. And the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Will you believe the gospel? Also, I didn't ask, do you believe? I ask, will you believe? Because this is a question of the will. It's not a question of your preference. It's not a question of whether it's something that you happen to be shaped into. It's a question of whether or not you choose to believe for the safeguarding of your soul. The one thing that is needful is the care of your soul. The one thing that is neglected is the safety of your soul. But the one thing necessary for the salvation of your soul is to believe the gospel. It's that simple. That simple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, only your hand can be upon these young people. Only you, dear Lord, and you alone love them enough to be as clear as possible in your word with respect to the truth of their souls. And only they know their own state. Only they know their own hearts. I ask and pray, dear Lord, touch them. Touch them and bless them. Open their hearts, dear Father, that they would cry out for their Lord, that they would seek after you, dear Lord, with everything that is in them that they would desire you more than they desire the necessary food, that in every way, dear Lord, they may be saved, they may have eternal life, and they may rejoice forevermore, and nothing can take it away from them. I thank you, dear Father, for these opportunities, and I pray your hand upon them. Bless them, dear Lord, as they enter into those cabin devotions, those precious moments of time where they get to share and to speak and to ask the questions that are needful. And I pray for our wonderful harvest tonight. Father, watch over them and bless them and be with them. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.